Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, it's been a great day. It's been a great day to realize that the Lord is good to us all the time, that he watches over us, that we are privileged to gather together and to worship together and freedom to do that and to look into God's Word. We uh, value the Scriptures. We believe that God has uniquely spoken to us in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures need to be understood and read and studied, and we need to be reminded of the truths of the Scriptures because they are God's direction to us, God's instruction to us. We find great encouragement and Great direction in the scriptures. So this morning we're uh, on the last section of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. So if you find a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're looking at the last eight verses, verse 50 through 58. We've been going through chapter 15 for quite a while. I hope that uh, chapter 15 becomes a passage of Scripture that you read over and over, that you reflect upon, that you return to. Uh, we have talked about many topics and many issues in the church at Corinth that Paul has raised as he gave instruction to the believers there. And all of those topics are super important for us. But there's probably nothing quite as important as what we find in chapter 15. It is about the resurrection of Jesus. It is about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus for gospel ministry, for what we believe in, what we hope will be our future, uh, the weight and importance of the resurrection of Jesus for your life and my life as we live each and every day is accentuated in this uh, chapter. And as we come to this last section of chapter 15. It is the culmination of the instruction about the resurrection in this final section. He has been developing the implications of the resurrection and now he comes to the language of victory, the language of conquest, the language uh, that describes a defeated foe. And it is super important, super encouraging. It is where we should hang our hopes, hang our life because of the significance of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for each and every one of us. This passage is a, conversa- is a, is a statement of the victory that Jesus won for us in the resurrection. It is a statement of our own resurrection because of Jesus. And it is a declaration of victory. And when we talk about victory, when we think about victory, there are quite a few different scenarios that we probably think of. We think of victories as seen on the global stage, such as in the Olympics, when the Americans win gold medals, or there's a big challenge that we're excited to see, a big competition, and we see... Uh, people we know that come from our country that excel 
That is a great victory. Or if you're into soccer, and soccer's going on, and uh, maybe the World Cup. It is a, a great challenge. It is an opportunity to win victory and recognition before the whole world. Victory is important. It's exciting. It's, it changes things. When we come to think about victory in other situations, such as battles and wars, victory is important there too. It raises the importance of victory because it's a life or death issue. We could very well lose our lives in the battles that we see in the world stage. And it reminds me of the a statement by Winston Churchill. I watched the movie Darkest Hour. I thought it was a great movie. It's Winston Churchill being in that crucial moment in history when the, the Hitler and his armies were threatening the world and Britain was in the midst of it and being confronted and threatened. And were they going to stand for victory or were they going to try to negotiate with Hitler? And it's in that movie where uh, uh, Winston Churchill makes that profound statement about victory. I'd like to read it for you. Churchill says, You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea land and air and with all our might and with all the strength that God can give to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask what is our aim? I can answer with one word. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. We know the importance of those words. We know how that statement shaped history. Victory was needed. Victory had to happen. We're benefiting from the victory of that conflict. Victory looms large when it comes to wars and battles. Victory is important for us as personal people as well, in our personal realm. So oftentimes we don't call it victory, but we call it winning. There are moments in our lives when we need victory, when we need to win. Sometimes those battles are against addictions. Sometimes those battles are against recurring sexual sins or sins of temptations of a variety of sorts. Sometimes it's paralyzing fear. Those kinds of things that stand against us. Sometimes it's disease and sickness. And we have to stand up and stand against those things. And when we encounter those things, we understand in a real personal way how important victory is. Victory presumes two things. Victory presumes first that there is an adversary. It may be other people. It may be family members. It may be co-workers. It could be power structures such as governments or office rules. It may, may be uh, 
your uh, uh, property development uh, managing team telling you what you should do in your house, but there are limitations. There, are, there is adversaries. It may be personal adversaries. It might be shortcomings that we know of ourselves, an inability to be disciplined. It might be physical limitations that we struggle with, shortcomings that we know deep within ourselves about ourselves. There is an adversary when it comes to victory. But right along with it, there is this priority, this desire to win. We have it in our DNA where we desire to accomplish, to be victorious, to uh, overcome the obstacles before us. This is what gives life and vitality to the idea of victory. This is why it is exciting. It is why it is glorious. It is why it is meaningful to each and every one of us. We are driven to be successful, to win. We like to win. When we're playing games, we like to win. Some of us are more competitive than others, but victory and winning is the goal. Now, it's not bad that there is an adversary and that we long to win. But some of those conflicts are bigger than we can handle. Some of those conflicts are ultimate conflicts. And what Paul discusses in our passage today is the victory over our ultimate adversary, death. Death in our passage is the thing that is defeated. And that's why this passage rings of victory. It rings of joy. It should be one of those passages that we return to over and over again as believers. I have read this passage countless times at the graveside when we're doing a graveside ceremony because it speaks in the face of what appears to be defeat. It speaks the word of victory. And it's the word that we need to hear again and again. It's the word that needs to be proclaimed from the church. It is the word that needs to be demonstrated in our lives because we have a victorious Savior. So as we read this passage, there are three facts I want us to be reminded of today. So turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I'd like to read verses 50 through 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishability, and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There are three things that we should know. First, we need to know that left to our human state, we lose against death. This is what verse 50 says. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor the perishable inherit the imperishable. Right off the bat, Paul is drawing a contrast in this passage, saying that there is flesh and blood, and it is in contrast to what we can inherit as the kingdom of God. If we are perishable, we will not stand as imperishable people, which is required to enter into the kingdom of God. Paul uses the word flesh and blood to make the contrast. This fallen world is fallen. It is broken. It is opposed to the future glory that God plans, God's presence in his kingdom. The way things are is opposed to the way things will be. The perishable is contrasted to the imperishable. In this way, we're talking about human frailty. It mentions in verse 54 that mortality needs to put on immortality. There needs to be a change, a transition. This world will not enter into eternal life. This world will not defeat death on its own. Because this world is subject to death. You and I, as human beings in this world, are subject to death. We can desire to conquer death we can desire to establish our lives and i actually think that in large part we're motivated by this to save ourselves to protect ourselves to to establish ourselves therefore we long to be faster we long to be stronger we long to be richer and more beautiful than anyone else this all adds to our desire to establish our importance and our permanence. Even though we have shortcomings, we know that we have shortcomings. We long to override those and ride past those. People of our day can be captivated by the desire to be undiminished and perishable. It seems that statements and advertisements trumpet this over and over and we just hear it and we just accept it. There is this underlying desire to ignore and deny the, the reality of death. I mean, I heard this uh, statement, and there's a lot of them, about uh, the wonders of testosterone. And a 60-year-old guy says, I'm taking testosterone, and I feel better than when I was in my 20s. So does that mean he's going to live to 110? I mean, he's starting over? He's starting from... I mean, these, these statements are made and they're patently false. I mean, they, they can't be true because we are running down. We are deteriorating. This is a broken world. And as much as we bolster the hope and the longing and the desire to conquer death and to establish permanence and longevity and immortality, we have no way to do it. 
I think, of course, the, the fitness industry leads to this, and the health food industry leads to this. You know, you can actually sense as you watch people work out and as you hear about their workout regimens that there's a sense in which there's a religious fervor, a religious passion about these things. And I, and I can't help but think that there, in some sense we're being short-sighted. We're being bait-and-switched. We think that if we do these things, then we'll have permanence and we'll be able to face whatever the future holds. I mean, we're interested so much in what we eat and where it comes from. And all of these things, I'm not saying they're bad. And you might be very involved in exercise, and I wouldn't deter you in any way. But what, what does bother me is the idea, kind of subtle line of reasoning, that in some way we can beat the road we're on. But the reality is, and, and if we just ignore that road, we're still on that road. If we cover up our eyes, if we do all the kinds of things that seem to give us the idea that we're invincible, we're perpetual, we're not going to pass away, that we can convince ourselves we're not on that road. But the reality is, the mortal cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there is nothing wrong with all of these things, as I'm saying. The Christian view is that fitness and diet and all these things are good, but they are not a road of, uh, of self-salvation. A workout regiment and a healthy diet cannot guarantee anyone the kind of eternal life that is offered in the gospel. And we are in a battle, and there is an adversary that stands against every single human being, and we need to recognize that. And that adversary is death. It was not planned by God in the beginning that we would die. It was not his intention in creation. Certainly, death is a reality. But God has churned it on its head. But death is a reality that only he can turn on his head. And we have to face that. We have to recognize that. C.S. Lewis said that 100% of us will die and the percentage cannot be increased. Decay, dis disintegration, deterioration, and loss of all is part of our human existence. And they are all road signs to us that death is inevitable. It's an interesting truth about death. You will never find an old, an old myth or a legend or a story of any single culture in all of human history with all of its ancient wisdom and ideas saying that death is good. Whatever the myth or story is in human history, it always says that death is unnatural, death is ugly, death is painful, it's brutal, it's terrible. It doesn't give us any options. Death is ubiquitous. 
And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, this is a word of victory. This is a word of good news that the world needs to hear. This is a word of conquest. It is a word of life. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, there is a victory over death. Given our current road that we are on as humans, we have no deliverer. But Jesus has come into the world to make deliverance possible. And it comes because of his great victory over death. So second, we need to know that Jesus, the resurrected one, is our deliverance out of death. Human life is perishable. People cannot change that, whether you're an athlete or super intelligent. We're all on the same road. How do we get victory from death? Well, Paul tells us in verse 51 and following. He points to that time, that moment in the future when Jesus will break the skies open, when he will return. And Paul calls it a mystery, a mystery that he is proclaiming. A mystery is not something that's hidden that we cannot know. A mystery is something that hadn't been known but now is made evident. And the truth is that we who have fallen asleep, we who have succumbed to death in this world will be brought to new life. That is a tremendous word of hope. That is the hope that we stand on. That is the truth that we proclaim. That is the truth that we see demonstrated in Jesus. And certainly as believers, this sounds like normal, natural, regular words. But oh, that we would get a hold of the importance of that again. That we'd we'd realize that our future is one day coming out of the grave. I remember so many times standing at a graveside and reading these words and imagining people coming out of the grave. That is what will happen. That is the promise because no one could imagine when they laid Jesus in the grave that he would come out of it alive. But he did. And no one imagines that when we lay people in the grave that we'll come out alive, but we will. That is the wonder of this passage. It is a celebration. It is the word of encouragement that the trumpet will sound. All of these normal descriptions of the end of time in the Old Testament Prophetic words told about a time when God would bring all of this creation to an end. It is through the trumpet sound. It is is through the trumpet sound. I think I'll be whispering the rest of the morning. For at that moment when Christ returns, there will be a change, a resurrection of our lives. The mortal of, well, says that uh, we will be changed and the perishable will put on imperishability and the mortal will put on immortality and the transformation will happen instantaneously. And this is God's dream and desire from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. Paul, in these words, death has been swallowed up. 
It seems like I'm getting worse, sorry. <laughs> the, these Old Testament words. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? These are passages from the Old Testament taken from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. And Hosea verse thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 14. <clears throat> Sounds worse than it is. <laughs> Isaiah 25 says, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. In Hosea, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave, and I will redeem you, redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Both passages tell of the destruction of death itself. Death is not just erased. The power of it is literally swallowed up in life. This is why I often read it at the gravesides. Paul celebrated the victory of Christ's death. And the victory of Christ's death will issue in our life beyond the grave. So you can see that this is a victorious passage. Notice in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Death reigns because of sin. Death reigns because of sin, and it has infected every one of us. Paul is proclaiming the the victory over death, but then he gives the reasoning for that victory. Sin causes death. And every single one of us have committed sins. And therefore, we have no power in ourselves to be saved. We have no power in ourselves to bring forgiveness. We have no power in ourselves to defeat death. Only Jesus can do that. He goes on to say the power of sin is the law. And that just means if we ignore God and do our own thing and ignore his truth and ignore his law, that law will condemn us on one hand. The other hand is if we use the law with the hopes of earning our own salvation, we can never fulfill that law perfectly. That law will condemn us. And 57 says, but thanks be to God, he gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ, the external power, the one who can give deliverance for each and every one of us, can bring salvation and give us new life after death. Therefore, Jesus, our resurrected one, is our deliverer in death. This brings us lastly to verse 58, we need to know that this victory must be seen in us now. 
We're to hold on to the truth. This is not just theoretical. This is our future. This is God's plan and purpose for our life. He will bring us back to life after death. And this is the hope we should stand on even now. So in verse 53 or 58 it says, Therefore, and therefore is certainly reflecting what has just been said. Therefore, since we will put on imperishability, since we will receive immortality, since we will be made new in the twinkling of an eye at the coming of Christ, and since death will be overwhelmed with victory, therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know it is not in vain. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord means don't just follow the status quo. In light of Christ's work, we are to grow in love towards him and love towards one another in the church and love to the community around us who needs to know that Christ has won the victory over death. What what Paul shows us is the end of the story. The end game is that Christ is coming back and he will make us new in the twinkling of an eye. And because of that, we are to stand firm. Christianity is not about doing first. It's about what has been done. Christianity is about standing wholeheartedly on the work and the merits of Christ and not our own. It takes saying, I have nothing in my hands to bring, but simply to your cross I cling. Recognizing that we are sinners and we're broken and we need his work to satisfy God's justice and experience God's abundant grace towards us. And the key is that God's abundant grace flows to us through the sacrifice of his son. And we must trust him and be completely his. I recently read a review of the movie about Mr. Rogers. Won't you be my neighbor? It's a great movie. I hear lots of great things about it. Uh, Mr. Rogers is a -a one-of-a-kind guy, loving, and and his dream really was that kids would know that they're made in the image of God. And so anyone that knew Mr. Rogers was impressed by his kindness and his goodness. The one piece in the movie that was a little disturbing was when his wife was asked about conversation she had just as he was dying. And I don't want to read too much into it. But he was wondering, he said to his wife, am I a sheep? Thinking of the sheep pen of the Lord and my sheep know and hear my voice. And maybe he was thinking about the passage where it says, many will come before me and say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. But what is interesting about this statement, and I'm not 
declaring I know anything about Mr. Rogers. But when we stand before the Lord, we don't ever want to be standing there on the basis of what I've done. Christianity is not about what we have done. Certainly there is plenty to do, but not because we're doing it, but because of what he has done for us. Christianity is about what Jesus has done. And my hope and prayer is that each and every one of us who know what it means to trust in Jesus, depend on his work of salvation on the cross, will have on our lips and hope in our hearts that one day when he comes back, he will be the deliverer. He is the one that's paid the way for me. And it's not about what I've done. It's about the grace that he's given It's about the life I receive from him as a gift. And my hope and prayer is that you, each and every one of you, would know that death has lost its sting in your life because you have trusted in the one who has won the victory and not in yourselves, not in the law. You know yourself as a sinner. You need the Savior, and that's why he's come. And Paul is confident that one day he'll stand with a new body that's been transformed and made imperishable for all eternity, and that everyone who believes in Jesus can stand with that confidence as well. And that's open to you if you do not know Christ. That offer of life, is offered to you today. Come and trust him. Believe in him. He is the Savior. He's the one that conquered death. He's the only one that brings that victory to us as we trust in him. Devote yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain because we serve a risen Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace, the power of the gospel. That you are willing to come into this world, take on human flesh, bear the wickedness and the sin and the brokenness of this world, walk through it and go to the cross and offer up your life as a sacrifice. And then conquer death. And all who trust in you will see death defeated in their lives as well. Lord, what a Savior you are. May we be fully devoted to you as the one who fully redeems us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.